Our scripture reading this morning comes from the third chapter of the book of Acts, verses 12 through 19. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But asked, but you, excuse me, but you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has, been ma has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him the perfect health in the presence of all of you. Now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that the Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. So, one of my jobs as a lead pastor is I've got to know what's going on in the broader world of the faith. Yeah, I need to like write sermons and Lord knows I spend a lot of time doing that. And I need to like make budgets and make sure we meet budgets. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I spend a lot of time doing that. But another thing I need to do is I need to know what's happening in the world so that I can help us make good decisions. And so uh, this week, what came across my desk and the desk of most pastors, okay, I don't actually have a desk, but like what came across my feed and the feeds of most pa pastors is a, a Gallup poll that does not have good news for American Christianity. Gallup is one of those uh, polling organizations. And this is the headline that comes out of it. Fewer than half of U.S. adults belong to a religious congregation. A new Gallup poll shows this is the first time since we started taking those polls for like, I think this one represents 70 years of history. This is the first time since the 70 or 80 years in, calculated in the Gallup poll that less than half of the U.S. adult population claims membership in a religious community. In fact, I'll show you the graph. Uh, we're at sitting at 47%. As of 2020, only 40% of U.S. adults claim membership in a religious community, down from, and I'll show you, a height of 76% right after a World War II, um, or 73% uh, right before we entered World War II. Again, this is, a, this is quite a long time scale. Hangs out in the 70s for a long time uh, until about the mid-90s. Um, and then uh, we dropped from 70% around 2000 to 47% now here uh, 20 years later into the new millennium. It does not look good. And it actually looks even worse if you are what's called a mainline Protestant, or a mainline Christian, rather. So that is Catholic, that is Episcopalian, that is Methodist, that is Lutheran, that is... Um, uh, uh, Presbyterian. There we go. Uh, because actually, that's where all of the losses are. The evangelicals currently are holding steady. 
Um, but all of the losses are from Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran. Um, but even for the evangelicals, that's not good news because if you're just holding steady, most of what that means is you're vaguely robbing from the people leaving the mainline denominations uh, and you're not actually growing. You are just managing to hold steady. Praise God for that, perhaps. But for all of us who claim the name of Christ here in the United States, the news is not good. We have gone from 70% of the U.S. adult population claiming church membership 20 years ago to 47%. From 1945 to 2000, the overall dip was 6%. From 2000 to 2020, uh, the dip is far more significant. It's 23%. And it's even weirder than you think it is because it turns out that it's not just Christianity that's declining, atheism is declining as well. Those who claim themselves as like strident, actual atheists are also declining uh, gradually year over year, as are agnostics. The people who go, I don't know what I believe, you know, I don't know what I believe, but something's out there. They're declining as well. The group that's growing, the only group that's growing, right? Um, Muslims, that, those numbers are steady. Uh, evangelicals, those numbers are steady. Uh, Methodists, Episcopalians, et cetera, those numbers are declining. The only number that's growing is the, what, I, what are called the nuns. Because it's funny, it's a pun. It's a nun pun. N-O-N-E, nun. But it's a pun because also N-U-N, nun. This is all very funny, and people love these jokes. Um, I usually just, it's the people who go, you ask them what church they belong to, you ask them what they believe, they just go, eh, they don't care. Eh, I don't know, right? Atheists would say, no, there is no God, I love science. They're declining as well. The group that's growing is the people that just say, eh, I don't care. Eh, I don't know. Hey, religious people are fine, but I'm not that. Eh, I don't know. That's what's growing. People who have no belief. It's not the people that are mad at us. It's not even really the people that hate us. It's the people that don't care one way or another. Turns out that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's disinterest. And what's growing is not a hatred of God, it's an utter disinterest in the things of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, why is this happening? Why are the only population that's growing is people that go, eh. Now, I know a lot of pastors who are going to have these conversations with their congregations. And one of the things you are going to hear is that there is a vast liberal conspiracy that absolutely hates the things of God. That may well be true. I don't work for them. I have no idea. No doubt, there are certainly forces in our culture who are disinterested in Christianity having a place in public life. And this turns up as a debate about prayer in schools. And this turns up as a debate about how we celebrate Christmas. And it turns up as a debate about what holidays we celebrate. These things are definitely happening. There are definitely forces out there who are uninterested in people going to church. Yeah, absolutely. One need only look at like the un even nature of coronavirus reopenings to understand how understand the scale of things. But do we really get to blame outside forces for the problem that we face? 
do we really get to blame outside forces for the, the growing number of people looking at the concept of being in fellowship with God and connecting to believers and receiving redemption and inspiration and power, and they look at that and go, eh? Can we really blame the forces of evil swirling in our culture? Well, Peter and the early church also faced the swirling forces of evil. It was named the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire, let's be clear, was actively trying to kill them. And so they could have looked at that and go, yeah, I don't want to go up against that. I can't beat that. I'm just going to hide in my cave and tell no one about Jesus because I don't want to die. Right? They could look at the forces that they face and go, yeah, I'm not dealing with that stuff. They may have said other words too. And if you think about the time of Martin Luther, the time of the Reformation, where the medieval Catholic Church had like, you know, the ability, had armies and the ability to kill people. And Martin Luther could have looked at that and, well, uh, people don't need to hear God's truth because I don't want the forces that are trying to stop me to kill me. Now, they could have, he was up against it, right? There were this, these armies and the guillotines and all of that. He faced evil forces. But he stood up and he overcame the same way the early church stood up and overcame. And so why do we then look at the problems that we face that are big and, you know, these people own television channels and newspapers and who knows what else, textbook companies. I think all textbook companies are evil. Textbook companies, whatever, there's this, you know, why do we look at them and go, we can't. That's why we've got a problem. It's the evil out there that's stopping us. Nothing can stop us. The Holy Spirit is at our back. The Holy Spirit was at Peter's back in the early church. The Holy Spirit was at Martin Luther's back and the Reformation. The whole, that same Holy Spirit didn't fly away because the forces that we faced got so big. The Roman Empire was huge and killed a lot of people. And yet somehow we overcame that. I know we want to blame others for our problems, but I suspect part of what's happening, why, the major why so many people are turning to going, eh, is because we haven't done our job. That we haven't told the story of faith in our lives. That we haven't gone out there and told of the joy of the Lord and the truth of God. You see, it's not just young people who are turning into the nuns. It's boomers. It's Gen Xers. It's not just liberals who are turning into the nuns. It's Republicans. It's not just people in the North, East, and the West, but it's the people in the North and the South and the East and the West and every other thing in between. Because we have not gone out there. We think it's the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. It's my job to just sit here and listen about Jesus. No, it is not. It's all of our jobs. It is all of our jobs to get out there and boldly tell of what God has done in our lives and what God is doing in the world. And so what I want us to learn from today is I want us to learn from the example of Peter. And let's be clear, what Peter does is, shall we say, harsh? Uh, Peter shows up and says some really tough things uh, to his crowd. Specifically, he tells his crowd that they murdered Jesus. 
That's his message. That's his, his, that's his evangelistic effort is, hello, friends, you murdered Jesus. Now, I want to say some things about this. First of all, not a good plan for maybe us to go up to a modern Jewish person and say the same thing. That, not a good idea. We need to remember, A, Peter is Jewish. Peter is talking to his family. You can say things to your family that you can't say to people outside your family. Let's, let's just remember that. Also, let's remember that Peter is equally guilty of the killing Jesus thing, right? Peter also could have stood up on Jesus' behalf. And what did Peter do? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him, right? So Peter is accusing these people of a thing he himself knows that he did, and they're related, they're kin, he can say these things. This is perhaps not the best argument in like a Christian-Jewish relations in the 21st century. So I want to set that up. But there is no doubt that Peter and John here at the temple, Peter leads with some pretty harsh, but a pretty harsh assessment of what these people had done. That is verses 14 through 15. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Bless you. I'm sure the stream heard that, so I just wanted to, you know. The NASA astronauts probably heard that. Peter's got some har a harsh piece of truth to boldly declare to them. But you've got to realize that these people are standing in what's called Sol Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico. It is this uh, set of colon colonnade um, on either side. These are people who have come to a religious site, to a place where you often hear from religious teachers. So this is probably not instruction of how all evangelism should happen. The idea is not to stand on random street corners with bullhorns and yell, you killed Jesus! Maybe you have a really terribly made sign, you killed Jesus! Yeah, no, that's not what's happening here. Our, our new outreach effort is not investing in bullhorns so we can yell, turn or burn, you're going to hell! And not going to work. These are people who have come to a religious place to hear religious teaching. Now, they're getting a harsh religious teaching, but sometimes, as maybe some of y'all are experiencing this morning, religious teaching can step on your toes. And so that's what Peter is doing. Again, do not stand on street corners and yell at random people about how they killed Jesus. This is Peter's family, essentially, uh, who have come to hear religious things, and he is giving them religious things. The other thing is, he does not lead with, you killed Jesus. Immediately before this, all of these same people have witnessed Peter and John heal a man who has been lame since birth and often begged right outside the temple for money. And here, so here are the verses before. Here are verses 8 through 11 as this man finds out and experiences being healed by the name of Jesus. Jumping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. And then Peter tells them that they killed Jesus. But he leads with this amazing act of love that produces this amazing moment of joy. And everyone is running together to see the, what the, this power, what this love, what this healing can do. And then Peter offers some harsh truth after already inviting them in with the love of God. But also, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it with, you are all sinners, there is no hope, that is all, thank you. He doesn't say, you killed Jesus, therefore you burn in the hellfires. I'm just doing this for my mother to see how many times I can say hell in church. You will burn in the hellfires, go away. He doesn't even say, you killed Jesus, therefore I hate you. Therefore, we are enemies. No. He finishes with verses 17 through 19. And now, friends, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. I don't know about that part. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore. Turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. He ends with an offering of grace. He begins with a bright and shining image of the healing that the love of God can accomplish. He offers them the harsh truth of their state, but which one of us in this room has never needed to hear a harsh truth in our lives? Anybody? Yeah, no. But he ends... Not with harsh, but with an offering of real mercy and love by simply turning back to God. That's a different process than just standing in a street corner and yelling about hell and damnation and the fire. And it's a different circumstance by simply saying, Jesus loves you. You just need to follow Jesus. No, it shoots the middle of that. We're like, yeah, we need salvation from something, but that salvation is there. And God loves you enough to offer that salvation, even if you turn out to be somewhat of a trash fire some of the time. But friends, we need to get off the sidelines and start doing this thing that Peter did. We need to stop looking to others to solve the very real problems of God's world. Because the truth is, the Great Commission in the book of Matthew is for all Christians. It is Jesus addressing all of the disciples when he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, You, you three, you, Peter, John, Thomas, you three, you're the evangelism committee. Y'all, y'all go out and tell people about Jesus. Uh, you three, uh, Bartholomew, Frank, and Fred, not disciples, doesn't matter. You three are the missions committee. Y'all, y'all go help people. Uh, you three, uh, Bob, Joe, and Larry, you make the potluck for when they show up. We need the potluck committee and you make the potluck uh, and you uh fred bob and 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 frank there are other there are other ones doesn't matter uh, you're the maintenance committee make sure the table doesn't fall apart 
This is, I understand, this is how we divide churches. This is literally how our church is set up. So all churches are set up. 26 people divide themselves into committees and church life happens. But the truth is, is we're all on the evangelism committee. We're all on the missions committee. We are all instructed to go and make disciples and then also make them a potluck. But we are all on the evangelism committee. The kingdom of God is built with no other hands than ours. God has no other feet in this world than our own. The word of God can only be proclaimed by the mouths of Christians who profess to believe. God has no other bank account in this world than all Christians who pool their money together into the thing called church to do God's work. We need to get off the sidelines. And we need to be willing to speak God's love into the world. And that can take a lot of forms. Here, it took the form of healing a man who was lame. It could take the form of feeding the hungry or caring for the homeless or visiting the sick or actually being nice to your family or sending your mother a greeting card. Or it could be an extraordinary act of love for someone whose house is burned down or for someone who has gone broke or someone who, who is an addict who needs that friend to journey with. It can be all of those things and a thousand things. It can be as just as simple as smiling at people in the grocery store. I mean, don't stop there, but certainly smile at people in the grocery store. All of these things speak to the reality of God's love. And it helps when you actually do it for people who are hard to love. For those who have been rejected. For those who are addicted. For those who know what it is to feeling being cast out by society. When they feel loved, by you, they know they are experiencing something special. So speak God's love into the world in small ways, yeah, and maybe in big ways too. And show the world that God is indeed not dead, that God is still loving God's people. But also, friends, be willing to speak God's truth, even the uncomfortable ones even the convicting ones, even the ones that people don't want to hear. We all know we've all got stuff. We also know that the people in our lives have got some stuff that God would like them to repent of, that God would like them to be redeemed of. We see here Peter boldly declaring to his family, where they had gone astray. We need to have that same power, that same boldness, to not just look at the pastor and go, no, it's your job to talk about sin. I just want to talk about love. Okay. I'll do it. But we all should. We all should be willing. I'm not saying stand at, on street corners and say turn or burn. And I'm not saying leave your family members in a hopeless place. But we all need to have that boldness to say, hey, things are not right. And also say, hey, things can be right. Because fundamentally, we need to be willing to speak God's mercy into the world. Friends, a lot of non-church folks, a lot of the eh folks look at us and think that we have no problems. 
A lot of them look at us and think they believe the facade that we put out in the world, that we are redeemed, that our teeth have been straightened and whitened, and man, are we just so happy that Jesus loves us and our lives are so perfect. People believe that image that gets put forward. But I, I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm going to look deliberately up. It's a good teacher tactic. Um, who among us has never gotten drunk, gotten high, cheated on a lover, lied, cheated, stolen, rejected God's offer of hell, didn't do what God wanted them to do? Has any, anyone? Anyone not done something? No. Right? So we've all known God's mercy, right? So what if we tell that story? What if we speak God's mercy, the mercy that we have received, the mercy the world needs to hear? I find it not a remarkable coincidence that as church attendance and involvement in a religious community is declining, the mental health of America is also declining. I find it interesting that as church is on the decline, people feeling worthless is on the incline. People feeling stuck is on the increase. People feeling depressed because their life is without hope is on the increase. And maybe what they need to hear from us is there is mercy for what has come before and hope with what is to come. Maybe if we get up off the sidelines and speak the love and truth and mercy that we have received, this world can turn around, that people will realize that there's more to just, than just going, eh, I don't know, but realize they can take into their lives something transformative. But we got to get out there and be bold about it. Trust me, I know that telling people about Jesus is awkward sometimes. I do it multiple times a week on the internet. We need to get out there. The world needs to know of God's love. The world needs to know of God's truth. The world needs to know about God's mercy. And we are the ones who are supposed to do it. Do we face challenges? Yes. But the spirit of God that overcame the Roman Empire can overcome whatever it is that we face. The Spirit of God that carried us through the first 2,020 years of our experience of the Holy Spirit in the world that pushed us to every nation, that overcame threats in abundance, regimes trying to kill us, empires, diseases, all of it. That same Spirit of God is here with us right now. It is the wind at our sails. But here's the secret about sailing. This is the only thing I know about sailing. You have to open up your sail. To catch the wind. A closed sail, even in a gale, that rhymes, will catch no wind. So let's push this analogy to its furthest. Let us open our sails. Let us set sail. Let us push the kingdom of God forward. Because Lord knows the world needs it. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. <laughs> for my terrible analogies. We give you thanks for your love for us for all the ways you have spoken into our lives. God, convict us in our hearts. Stir up in us that desire to go out there 
and boldly proclaim you. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.